Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I knew he had a thing about Bigfoot, but I did not know how obsessed he was with it. And, uh... He told me he was going to make a Bigfoot, and that's when I realized, oh, there's the story. And it's it's not that unusual up there. When when you say you've seen a Bigfoot up there, people don't look at you crazy like they might in Kansas City when you say you've seen a Bigfoot. All right, you ready? Let's go. From Fox 4 News in Kansas City. Are we rolling? Are we on? Hello? I'm Nick Vassos. <laughs> This is Signal Hill. Did you know there have been 3,313 reported sightings of Bigfoot from 1921 to 2013 in every state except Hawaii? Do you believe in Bigfoot? Do you remember that shaky footage that was shot back in the late 1960s? Well, Kansas City filmmaker Dan Wayne is going to unveil his documentary about world champion taxidermist Ken Walker. The movie is titled... The Big Fur, A Wild Love Story. And it debuts at the Screenland Armor Theater Sunday, May 5th at 5.30. And here to talk more about the film is Dan Wayne, the film's director and co-producer. Dan, it's good to see you again. Welcome into Signal Hill. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me on. So um, I want to read here from your Kickstarter page here uh, about this is kind of a short description of the movie, and then we'll start talking about it here. Uh, In the description, you write, Big Fur is a wry, funny portrait of an eccentric artist hero, world champion taxidermist Ken Walker, builds a life-size Bigfoot based on frames of the iconic 1967 movie and unveils her at the, at the World Taxidermy Championship. And while Ken would love to win Best in Show, his real hope is by putting Patty on display. It'll promote some uh, hunter to open his freezer and to pull out proof that Bigfoot is real. Instead, it's Ken's love life that gets thawed out. Although true love proves illusionary or illusory. How do you say that word? That's illusory. Illusory. (laughs) Uh, Although true love proves illusory, Ken is still sure that any day Bigfoot's existence will be confirmed. Until then, he is going to keep searching for both. Ken Walker. Tell us about Ken Walker this world champion taxidermist, how did you find him? And when did you know you had a story in Ken Walker? Well, Ken's a pretty interesting guy. Um, I had started working, uh, well, I started started learning about taxidermy. About six years ago, I, I had been a commercial photographer and things had gone to digital and I found myself shooting less and spending more time in front of the computer. And I was looking for, I just was kind of phasing out of that career. And I was doing some other things, but I was looking for something to kind of keep, you know, that the creative part of myself happy. And, and, and I always had this fascination about taxidermy. And, and so I started learning about it. And I found this forum online that was a really amazing source of information. And it turns out all the best taxidermists in the world are on this forum. And they're, you could ask them a question and they'll answer it. And, and I started getting more interested in, in the people than I was in actually 
you know, stuffing critters. So, so I kind of, I thought there was a good story there somewhere. There must be a good, you know, potential for a documentary. And I, I made a list of, of the, the characters I thought were the best and I narrowed it down and Ken was one of them. And, uh, I found out he was going to be teaching a coyote workshop at a competition in, in, uh, Indiana. So I signed up for it and I sent him a private message through the forum and told him I was looking to do a documentary about taxidermy and wondered if he'd, you know, make sure that there was some time during that convention that we could sit down and have a beer and chat. And, and he called me immediately and we started talking. And as you'll, you'll learn when you see the movie, Ken likes to talk and uh, he's a very entertaining and compelling guy. And I knew he had a thing about Bigfoot, but I did not know how obsessed he was with it. And uh, he told me he was going to make a Bigfoot. And that's when I realized, oh, there's the story. Because, you know, I, I knew that the subject matter was interesting. But, you know, a movie has to kind of have a beginning, a middle, and end. And, mm-hmm. and this way I thought, well, there, he'll make the Bigfoot. And then he'll take it to the world championships. And that'll be the beginning, middle, and end. So it kind of worked out that way. And Ken is kind of a unique guy in, in taxidermy. Besides being arguably the greatest in the world, he... Uh, He's known for recreations, which is, which is you know, not very many people do these. They are um, extinct or endangered animals that are made out of other animal hides. So they take a lot of creativity and research, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool thing. So he's done an Irish elk that's been extinct for you know, 10,000 years. He did a giant panda when he worked at the Smithsonian, and uh, a saber-toothed tiger, things like that. I've seen some pictures of his work. I've seen the trailer. Uh, for those of you that haven't, you need to go on, and we'll tell you how to, to, to watch the trailer as we continue here. But describe Ken's work. De- describe what it's like in detail and, and how it's almost lifelike. Well, it's, it's interesting when you start looking at a lot of taxidermy. You really realize, you know, some people are really good at it and s- some aren't, you know. And he's had a lot of experience. He's been doing it for, I don't know, 40 years or something. But... Um, and it's another thing I learned making the movie that almost all these taxidermists started their fascination with this kind of thing at around 12 years old. They all found a dead animal, took it apart, wanted to figure out how it worked, and then decided they wanted to put it back together. Um, but Ken's, Ken's kind of known for his ability to, to get expression in his mounts, and he's really good at that. And he also, you know, a lot of, a lot of taxidermists make their animals look fierce, like they're about to attack or they're, you know, pissed off. And Ken, Ken is more likely to make his animals look relaxed. And I think because of that, they, they look like they're more alive. And, you know, there's certainly some of his mounts I've seen that actually look like they're alive. You said you tried your hand at taxidermy. Did you think, <laughs> the way you describe it, it makes me feel like it's some sort of expression of art. Did you feel it was, do you feel like it's art? Oh, definitely. Definitely it is. There's, there's so many things that are involved in making a good mount. And, um, you know, you have to know animal anatomy. And, and the thing that I think I found the most interesting about, about it is that it's, a, it's very much a marriage of art and craft and science. So, you know, there's the natural history part of it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's the actual, you know, work. There's, you know, you, you, know, you can buy the you can skin the animal and then buy a form from a, from a manufacturer and then, you know, put it all together. The, the hardcore guys call that snap together taxidermy. But, you know, people like Ken, they carve the form, they carve the body and, and, 
and there's a lot you have to know about animal attitudes and anatomy and behavior to, to make it actually look good. Wow. So when you tried your hand at taxidermy, <laughs> what did you do? What, what, what were you stuffing? Well, I started out doing roadkill because I'm not a hunter. And uh, roadkill's tough because they're, you There's know, not much left of it, is no, there? No, they're usually in rough shape. And, and, and then I got a dog. And my dog, it turns out, is kind of a voracious hunter. And, uh, but I stick to small mammals, personally. So, you know, I've done a few squirrels. I've done a possum. I've done a couple raccoons uh, and groundhogs. My dog likes to kill groundhogs and, and moles. There's a lot of moles Chip, in the empty field behind me. would be too small, wouldn't there, they? I've tried one and pulled the legs right off. And I, <laughs> I think maybe now I'm better. I could probably do one. But, but the moles are the easiest because they don't have eyes or at least not that you can see, and they don't have ears, and those are the two hardest parts. So, Wow. So what did you think before and after when you, when you started trying well, it here? I what thought did... I'd you know, do one or two and then be good at it, and yeah. no, I've got a long, long way to go. And, and I wish I had more time to dedicate to it. Maybe when the, you know, I'm all done with the movie, uh, I will, but you know, I've, I've kind of decided I, I will keep doing it until I can do a good squirrel, and, and I think i got a ways to go. Okay, so... So you found Ken Walker, and you're saying, okay, I have found this documentary uh, that I'm going to do here, and Ken Walker is going to be uh, my subject here. H how did you begin it? Take us back to the beginning here, and, and how did you get all of this started? How, how did it get rolling? Well, um, you know, that first conversation I had with him, most of the, of the conversation was, ended up being about Bigfoot, and I had never thought twice about Bigfoot. So, you know, I hang up. From, from talking to him, and I call a friend of mine that's all into cryptozoology and, and all things strange, and he gives me a primer on Bigfoot. And, and then I, met, I, I went to that convention in Indiana, didn't shoot, but just went there to meet Ken and hang out with him. And, and he's a fun guy. We became pretty good friends and, and hung out. And, and then about a month later, I went up to his, uh, his studio, his shop in, in Alberta, which is kind of, you know, it's a pretty remote area up, up in... Uh, Kind of central Alberta, uh, and uh, yeah, I shot. Rockies are right up there. Rock, yeah, Rock it's Rock. close to the Rockies, but you know, in in Canada, if you're three hours from somewhere, you're close. Okay. You know, so he, he's a couple hours from the foothills, but okay. but he's still pretty much you know outside of Edmonton. Um, there aren't a lot of people that live up there. <laughs> they, I, I, I might be one of the people who have visited Edmonton before. Hey, actually, it's beautiful country up there. Yeah, yeah, it is in the summer. Up, it is. Right, you are, Dan. <laughs> Yeah, the For first sure. spring I was up there, we had a pretty major snowstorm. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So you find him up there, and he's living in this 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 habitat here. He's like in the wilderness, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he lives out kind of in the boondocks, and and it's beautiful, and and um, yeah, he you know he's uh, he lives his taxidermy life there. He's got a big shop. It's full of animals, and you know to complicate things about. About six months or a year into the process, he sold his shop, decided he was going to build a new shop, and uh, told me, oh, it'll be done in a few months. And one thing I learned pretty quick about Ken is that he is an optimist. And, uh, you know, I know a little bit about construction, and I thought, he's not going to be done with that thing in three mm -hmm. months. And then the building season up in Canada isn't so easy because it's 30 below up there. Right. And so uh, it took about a year for him to get his new shop up and running. So things slowed down for a little while, but, you know, that was fine. So he, so um, he's this world champion taxidermist, uh, all kinds of 
large and small creatures have been created by by Ken. He's won all these awards. When does he decide, what makes him decide to build this Bigfoot, this big giant Bigfoot, his his idea of what Bigfoot is? Well, he he's, like I, I said, I knew he had a thing about Bigfoot because I'd, I'd seen some things he'd written on that forum, the taxidermy forum about it. But when, when I got to know him, I realized he really thinks about Bigfoot a lot. And he had this area in the Rockies that he would go to that he calls a Bigfoot habituation area where there had been a ton of sightings. It's very remote. There are very few people there. And there's some compelling, you know, evidence. I wouldn't say direct evidence, but there's, there's some things there that are unusual. And he's convinced that there are Bigfoot living there. And he knows trappers that work out there who have seen Bigfoot. And, and, and it's, it's not that unusual up there. When, when you say you've seen a Bigfoot up there, people don't look at you crazy like they might in Kansas City when you say you've seen a Bigfoot. Has Ken seen Bigfoot? He did, but when he saw one, he didn't believe it was real. Um, I think it happened about 20 or 30 years ago, maybe. I could be wrong, but he was driving with a friend of his, and it was at night, and something big and black ran across the road and up a hill, and his friend said, you know, that was a Bigfoot. And he said, no, it wasn't. There's no such thing. But then he started uh, hearing other stories from hunters. And, you know, what I think is interesting is that the hunters, especially up there in Canada, they know what a bear looks like. And the Bigfoot apparently doesn't look anything like a bear. So, you know, that's, those are more credible witnesses, you might say, than your average city slicker that might happen to be driving through the country and see something that they don't recognize. What does Ken think about when he thinks about Bigfoot? What, is, what does he talk about? Well, he, he is very into the whole concept of discovery. He thinks, you know, that, and he's probably right, that the world is going to change, you know, if we discover that there's a new primate out there that's, you know, maybe somehow related to us or a whole different species that we didn't know existed. Uh, and, you know, there'll be a lot to learn from that kind of thing. And, and Ken's, you know, he's kind of a, an armchair scientist in that way. You know, he's, when he did his Irish elk, you know, he spent a lot of time researching that animal before he, he built it. You know, he measured the skeletons and, and he, he looked at cave drawings, you know, every cave painting that was ever made about an Irish elk. And there are a lot of them, you know. And he used the film too, right? Yeah, he used the film. Now for Bigfooters, that's the the kind of the holy grail of evidence. Is that's that the 19th film right there? It is in a lot of ways. Um, now that film was shaky and crazy, and and most people laughed at it when it came out. But I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, 10 years ago, technology changed, and people were able to scan that film and stabilize it. And when they did that. You can really see the anatomy of the critter. You can see the way it walks. It's different than the way a human walks. People started analyzing it a lot more. Um, Hollywood effects people said there was no way in 1967 they could have faked a, 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 somebody in a monkey suit that well. And, uh, and the thing that really clinches it for me, even though I'm still not completely sure it was real, is that the thing has breasts. It's a female. Now, who would fake a shaky Bigfoot film and put breasts on it. I was going to ask you, that was going to be my next question, okay? Because <laughs> when I saw Ken's recreation of Bigfoot, by the way, that he that he 
takes with him and that you will be able to see when you come down to the screening at the Screenland Armor Theater on May 5th in North Kansas City, 5.30, it's a Sunday, on May 5th, okay? I, I, I noticed he had put breasts on the Bigfoot. So is Bigfoot a female? It, well, that one is. is. <laughs> <laughs> and what... It, what does he call it? Now, there's always the chance that the males have breasts, because we don't know much about Bigfoot, but I doubt it. I, I, I assume that, that it probably was a female. It apparently is a little smaller than the reports of males. Um, he calls it Patty because that's what Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin, the, the two cowboys that filmed this thing in 1967, they called it Patty. Now, Patricia... Um, Patterson was Roger Patterson's wife, and for some reason, he decided that he would call the Bigfoot, <laughs> name it after his wife, Patty. So now he's passed away, uh, but Bob Gimlin is still around. He's an old cowboy. He's in his 80s. I've met him. Really interesting guy, and he still claims to this day that it was a real Bigfoot that they saw. So both of them believe that Bigfoot exists. Yeah. Yeah, they sure do. And Ken believes Bigfoot exists. Yeah. Before I ask you, tell us more about Bigfoot. Give us some dimensions about how tall, uh, how much would Bigfoot weigh, uh, maybe some of the other features that we may not realize when we think of Bigfoot. We think of Bigfoot, I think, as a, this giant, hairy, menacing creature that's a male and is going to... Get us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know I, I, mean? I don't think I want to run into one in the <laughs> woods, that's for sure. A lot of people are out trying to do that, though, apparently. Um, yeah, there's. I know a lot more about Bigfoot than I ever thought I would. Right. Um, they're big. They're stinky. That's one of, universally, all reports of Bigfoot include a stench. So really? they, they apparently are very stinky. A foul stench? A very foul stench, yes. And a lot of people think that they've encountered them just from the smell, even though they never saw them. You know, now the males are supposed to be a lot bigger. Um, a as stinkier? I, uh, I assume, since they're bigger, they just have to, by well, default, be stinkier. All guys are stinkier, aren't it's more they? surface area, <laughs> right? Well, I don't know about that. It's <laughs> another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> now, like I said, that movie has been analyzed to death, and a lot of people have taken the dimensions from that film. You know, they figured out the camera focal length and the distance from where they shot it across the creek and the size of the trees on the site, which is a very remote part of Northern mm -hmm. California, and they've extrapolated the measurements of that Bigfoot. And they think it was, I don't know, a, almost eight foot tall. I think they, I could be wrong, you know, six to 800 pounds, somewhere in there. Um, there's a lot of lore around that, that one encounter. You know, there's conspiracy theories and, and all kinds of stories that are, are really impossible well, to confirm. Seen it, and you study photography at Kansas and also film in New York City. Yeah. You put your eyes on that film. What what about your own eye test? Does it pass the eye test? The Yeah, I would say it probably does. The wa the walk is very strange and the proportions of the limbs, there's a word for that and I can't remember what it is, but mm -hmm. the proportions of the body are very strange. And it would be pretty tough for a guy in a suit to walk that way. Um you know, I'm not 1,000% convinced, but it's pretty compelling. And like I said, the, the breasts make it a very strange way to fake, <laughs> yes. you know, a Bigfoot. Especially since at the time you couldn't even see, you know, in 1967 when people looked at that footage, they couldn't even tell that it really had breasts on it, you know. 
But when you see it stabilized, you can see the actual heft of them moving as the thing mm-hmm. walks, and you can see the thigh muscles, and you can see the back muscles. And, and I don't think, you know, they had the technology for, for you know, a, a monkey suit at that time for a guy wearing it to actually do that. And it would have been very expensive, and these two guys, Patterson and Gimlin, they didn't have the ability to, to buy a real expensive, you know, Hollywood-level, yeah. you know, suit. So sounds to me like based on all the evidence, you are nearly convinced. <laughs> nearly. I mean, oh, you're nearly. you're almost there. Nearly, and you know, for me, I love the idea of it, mm-hmm. and I found over these last several years that that there are a couple different camps of people. You know, there's the ones that say there's no way they won't even consider any of the evidence. It's impossible. We know where everything is, and and to me, that's pretty ridiculous. And then. And then there are the ones that are absolutely 100% sure because they've seen one. And then there are the people that are probably a little more like me that like, well, it's possible. The wilderness is vast. You know, we're always discovering new species. There are areas on earth that men doesn't go. And, and I like, you know, it's a romantic notion to me that there is another species out there living and has just is, is intelligent and has just decided that they don't want to have anything to do with us. Now, when you're up there in the Canadian wilderness, it's not that outrageous to think that, that if there was a smart mammal that was highly evolved, it wouldn't be hard to, to evade humans because there's just nobody up there. And that would be its environment. Like, where, you know, where would it find shelter? What does Bigfoot feed on? Well, you would what need a good we- coat, that's for sure, because it yeah. does get cold. Now, a lot of people think that they winter in caves. And there are a ton of caves up there. Now, you know, How there's... a territory also, do you think, would, would Bigfoot need uh, in a vast land like that? Like, what would the territory be up there? I, I mean, I really don't know. Some people think that they migrate. I don't personally think that's likely if they do exist. Um, are they meat eaters? I would think so, yeah. You, I don't think you can get that big without... Would it be an omnivore? Plant oh, and, would, and meat? I would think so, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in the native cultures up there, there's a long history of, of these, you know, wild men of the woods that live up there. Gosh, that's fascinating. We are talking with Dan Wayne. He's a Kansas City filmmaker. And uh, his his film, The Big Fur, is going to be debuting. Uh, the first one will be in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, and that will be on May the 2nd down in uh, Springfield, Missouri. And t- remind me of the location in Springfield. That's Dan? at the Alamo Draft House. Alamo Draft House in Springfield, Missouri. And then coming here to Kansas City with Ken Walker and with Patty for the Screenland Armor uh, viewing, special exclusive viewing on May the 5th. And that'll be at uh, 530. Um, what do you hope? What do you hope people will get out of the film? Well, I think quite a few things. You know, I think when I started this project, I really wanted to kind of expose, you know, the the art and craft of taxidermy. You know, I think people, I want people to take it more seriously as an art form. And um, and I, I truly believe it's, it's a legitimate and very interesting form of art. Uh, I also, you know, hope people can kind of open their mind to the the whole idea that whether there's a Bigfoot or not, that the whole idea of of a another species that shares our environment and needs, you know, a big, wild, open space to survive. Um, 
you know, one thing I learned up there, uh, I, I read a lot about this guy that had been studying wolverines for years, and he never saw a wolverine. He was a wolverine expert. Well, he got caught them on, on trail cams, but never in person. I mean, you know, in, they share the same habitat as, as Sasquatch does. Okay. And, you know, it's important that, that we preserve that habitat for not just Bigfoot, but for all the species that share that, that area. Spe- species territories are shrinking, uh, as as we know, every year around. Yeah, and there's, you know, up there, especially in that area that I spent, you know, two weeks camping up there, um, there's a lot of resource extraction going on. There's a lot of logging, there's a lot of oil and gas, and it really changes, you know, the habitat fragmentation is a real problem. Um, and and there's all kinds of issues that that affect these species, especially, you know, when one gets affected, it has a chain reaction. So, you know, you've got these roads everywhere all of a sudden, and the wolves are traveling, you know, faster and covering more ground, and they're killing more animals, and the woodland caribou get, you know, freaked out by, by open spaces, and, and, and everything gets off balance. And it's important to preserve those big areas. How difficult a challenge uh, is that, that you've got, you've got business, you've got uh, hunters, you've got environmentalists, I mean, I suppose you have hunters, environmentalists who may have who may share a common goal, but then you've got businesses who want to put money in their pockets. So you have all these competing interests and all the resources out there, and not everybody's playing friendly all the time. No, they sure aren't. And most most folks that know a lot about it would say, "Well, we're we're screwed. <laughs> it's just too late." <laughs> but you know, you can't really have an attitude like that. You right. know, what's the point? Um, yeah, I think it's important that people work together and and. You know, we do need these resources. There's too many people in the world, and we all need paper towels or toilet paper or what, what, <laughs> whatever, and, and uh, you know, oil and gas. And, and there are ways to do it uh, more environmentally consciously. And I think, you know, one of the things that, that I, I try to be subtle about in the film is that environmentalists and conservationists don't always get along, even though they do, you know, share those same goals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we, just like with anything, you know, we, we are live in an environment where everybody is very divisive. And, and I think it's the extremes on either side that drive everybody else apart. And the truth is those extremists are just a tiny fraction of the people that all really share the same thing. So, you know, not all environmentalists are PETA members and they don't all want to, you know, stop all hunting and not all conservationists, you know, it, the people have to come together and work together or these things really won't be overcome. And, and we are going to, you know, we're losing a lot of habitat every day and we're losing wildlife too. I'm interested uh, to take you back here to 2015 when Ken, this world champion taxidermist builds this lifelike image of Bigfoot and he pours everything he has into it, and it looks real. And he takes it with him to the World Championships to Springfield, Missouri in 2015. He's rolling Patty out there on the floor. Everybody's looking at it with their mouth wide open, like, what is this? What is going on? Was there controversy in him uh, revealing, unveiling Patty to these World taxidermy championships? Well, I think people that knew him weren't real surprised that he did that. Um, but it was a, it was a big deal and it did get a lot of attention. And, you know, Ken, 
Ken was funny about entering it into the competition and it ended up um, entering it into this new division of the World Taxidermy Championships called Interpretive Art, uh, partially because it doesn't have a scientific uh, name. It, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't, you know, it's not officially recognized. Um, but it, yeah, it got a lot of attention and, and Ken always jokes about, well, he's not going to enter it into um, like master's division because what if somebody comes there with a really good duck and the Sasquatch beats the duck? You know, he would feel so bad. <laughs> How often do you talk to Ken? Oh, quite a bit. I talked to him last night, probably once a week or something. Yeah. Yeah, at least You guys once will be friends. You guys made quite the friendship. You guys were together for how many years? Yeah, well, off and on for six years. <laughs> six yeah. years. <laughs> uh, and you had some help from people out there who helped with the project too, right? Yeah, there was quite a bit of help. I mean, I was kind of a one-man crew, but I did have a, a lot of help. Uh, my friend George Langworthy was the editor for most of the film mm-hmm. uh, up until just about the end. Um, I, you know, I did a little bit of everything myself. I, uh, another local musician composer, Brad Cox did the score for the film, which is fantastic. Um, I had some local animators that worked on it and also an animator in, in Los Angeles, uh, Corky Quackenbush did some claymation, Sean Hammontree here in, in Kansas city did some of the animation and, some people in Lawrence, Nathan Towns was the sound designer. Stephen Deaver helped me with, with editing. I mean, a lot. When you see a movie and you see all those credits, you realize a lot of people go into, you know, getting this thing yeah. finished. And what's cool is that there you had a lot of local people that helped you out. So you had a little a local Kansas City talent inside your movie, right? Yeah, well, there is a lot of Kansas City talent here, and I always try to keep it local if I can, you know. Yeah, and as you should, you know, we we buy local, we try to shop local. This is a movie you should go see because it was made right here from Kansas City by Mr. Dan Wayne and uh, a lot of other people here. Tell us about the Kansas City music scene here. Uh, you're also going to have some people from the is it Kansas City Film, uh, the Kansas City Film Society. Society. That's it, Kansas City Film Society. They're yeah, going to be out there with you, right? Yeah, they're helping put on the the Screenland show. Screenland show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they. Uh, uh, they'll be kind of running that screening and there'll be a Q&A afterwards that Justin Gardner will be um, moderating. So they'll be able to ask you and Ken some yep. questions that they have. Yeah, and Patty will be there in the lobby for you to take a picture with and and it'll be a it'll be a fun sh- fun show. Wow. So those would be the the two screenings. Where will people be able to find it afterwards or is that still being worked out right well, now? Well, it's being worked out, you know, that I've submitted it to a bunch of festivals, and I kind of have to wait and see. Some of those festivals prefer to have a, a premiere, and they won't consider it if it's already out there in the world. So um, we'll probably wait a couple, two or three months and see how things go. I'm talking to some distributors, and and hopefully we'll get some kind of distribution deal. If not, I'll probably take it on the road and do uh, you know some events like this you know, around the country. We'll see. You know, we'll see. I think a lot of people want to come out and, and see Patty. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Um, so what's next for you? Anything next? Or I know that you're just at the tail end of this and you're watching <laughs> it. But I think I, mean... I might try to get a little sleep. Now <laughs> um, I'm working on some other projects. I've got uh, a couple documentary projects in development. And I also uh, recently optioned a, a, a story that would be an, an episodic a narrative about the the very last Sasquatch 
Let that sink in, folks. Did you hear that? The last Sasquatch. It'd be like the last Jedi. It'd be as big as that, don't you think? Bigger. Bigger and stinkier. <laughs> hey, if people would like to find out more information about the Big Fur, where can they find it, Dan? Well, you can go to BigFurMovie.com, and uh, you can watch a trailer there, and you can read all about the movie, and, and if there's any up, you can sign up for updates. Uh, and then if there's anything new that happens, you, you can find out about it on the website, and you can also follow us on Facebook at uh, Big Fur Documentary. All right, sounds good. Thanks for coming in. I enjoy this. this I can't wait to see it. Well, thanks, Nick. It was a pleasure. All right, Dan Wayne. Uh, he is the director and co-producer of The Big Fur. Check it out at the Screenland Armor coming up on May 5th at 5.30. And thanks for, lis- thanks for listening to Signal Hill. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.